years ago, I picked up a book. I was at uh, You for the Mission, as a matter of fact, in, um, I believe I was in, I might have been in Harpenden, but I, I think I was in Montana. But uh, at any rate, I picked up a book. It was the first book I'd ever picked up by John Piper, and it was a book called Let the Nations Be Glad, the Supremacy of God in Missions. And I remember reading something in that book that just struck such a deep chord with me and resonated with me. Let me read it to you here. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. One of our values as a church is the glory of God. We seek the glory of God, the exaltation of God in every way. And let me just quote Piper once more, and he says this, if you say that you love the glory of God, the test of your authenticity is whether you love the spread of that glory among all the peoples of the world. If we say, let's let's make it personal, if we say that we as a church, Clear River, we value and love the glory of God, then the test of that, the test of the authenticity of that statement is whether we love and invest in the spread of that glory among all the peoples of the world. Now, we've been reading out of Psalm 2, and in Psalm 2 and verse 8, you have a conversation happening prophetically between God the Father and God the Son. And God the Father says to God the Son, Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. That is the inheritance of Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. All the nations of the earth. Last Sunday I started listing nations. And I don't know about you, but uh, in today's politically correct charge atmosphere, I drove away, and one of the thoughts that crossed my mind was, did I include all types of ethnic groups in that, uh, in that list? And then it dawned on me I had included nobody from, uh, from uh, Africa in that, uh, in that list. So let me just say, he's also asked for Ethiopia. He's also asked for Sudan. He's also asked for Mozambique and, and, uh, and all those places in Africa. I meant to uh, just, I, th- I thought, oh no, I didn't include that, na- that, uh, that wonderful continent. Uh, but Jesus has asked for all the nations of the world, all the nations, and they are his inheritance. The nations belong to Jesus, and ultimately, Ultimately, every nation will worship Jesus as Lord. And last week we made the comment that we need to reorient our thinking. We need to reorient our thinking. Because we do not go on missions as guests. We go on missions as owners. We go on missions as inspectors 
and owners of the inheritance that belongs to Jesus. Why? Because that inheritance belongs to us as well. We are co-heirs with him. And as I said last week, whenever I speak to missionaries, I tell them, you have to be bold in your approach. And you have to understand that you are not there as a visitor hoping that you might be accepted. You are there as the owner of that nation, and you are there to do the king's business in that nation. That is who we are in this country. That is who the copes are in, the, in their country. We are not visitors. We are owners of the nations that belong to Jesus and as co-heirs belong to us as well. And so we understand that if the nations belong to Jesus, then they belong to us, and we need to have our thinking oriented that way. You are not on the losing team, folks. You are not on the losing side here. You are not hanging on by your fingernails. We may hope that uh, things that God does not necessarily tell us that we can with promise hope for. We may hope that every, uh, our personal, our nations might have the same form of government forever or may have the same uh, level of Christian freedom forever and all those types of things. We don't have that promise that any of that is going to happen. That's not owed to us. But what is owed to the king and therefore belongs to us is the allegiance of all peoples to Jesus Christ. And that will happen. That prayer will be answered no matter what shape the nations are in when they get there. But they will be made new and they will do that. So we have to reorient our thinking that way. The second thing we have to reorient our thinking about is that our giving, we're not giving charitably. When you sponsor a child, you are not extending charity. You are investing. When we give to missions, we are not giving charitably to help the poor missionary. No, we are investing in frontline soldiers doing the work that we also are involved in. Giving to missions is an investment in the inheritance that belongs to us. And so we should give purposefully, we should give sacrificially, we should give with all of our heart, we should give in ways that stretch us. Why? Because we have an investment to make in the work of the king in this world. The promise of the inheritance is reflected multiple times in the Psalms. And I want to just show you a few passages. There's only one that's written out in your notes, but let me just share a few of these passages because I love these declarations. We're talking about the heart of God. David and the psalmist reflect to us the heart of God. What is the heart of God look like? God's priorities as our priorities. God's values as our values. We want to have a heart after God. Look at these statements about His heart's purpose. Psalm 22, 27, and 28, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nation. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 
1 through 5, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Psalm 72.11, may all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Psalm 96.7-13, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. As I read this, I want you to understand that this is a psalm that is speaking post-revelations, post-second coming post the time when the earth is made new and the heavens are made new and you can see the freedom from the curse expressed right here. The Lord reigns, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. The one that He establishes will never be moved. He will judge the peoples, that is to lead, shepherd them with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. And then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in faithfulness. These promises appear over and over and over again. In the Psalms, in the prophets, in Isaiah, we find these promises of all the nations turning to the Lord God. The passage that Carol read for us today out of Romans chapter 15. I did print this in your notes. Verse, verse 8, Paul says to the readers, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that would be to the Jews, right? He became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What was the promise that was given? I will multiply you. I will make of you a great nation. And through you, Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so he confirms the promises. Jesus confirms. He's the seed. He confirms the promises given to the patriarchs. Verse 9, in, and in order that the Gentiles, how many Jewish people in the room today? One, right? For sure. There another? One, right? We know Robin is. Rest of you all, Gentile dogs. Right? That's the rest of us Gentile. What's the word for us? Goy? Goyim. Yeah, yeah. That's the rest of us. But the rest of us are very important here. Because he says, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And then look what he does. He goes back and references some of these things from the Psalms and Isaiah. As it is written, 
Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his peoples. Verse 11, And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse. Who's the root of Jesse? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the root of David. The root of Jesse. The Lord Jesus Christ. The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles will hope. Hallelujah! That's all of you and me that we're invited to this great king's community of faith. This king who will inherit all the nations of the world before whom all peoples, Jew and Gentile, from every tribe, race, nation, tongue, all will come together in a renewed earth, renewed heaven, giving glory to God and participating with joy in the ever-expanding work of His kingdom throughout the universe and the galaxies for ages to come. Of the increase of His government, there shall be no end. And we get to participate. So let's look at the rest then of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 and verse 9. God is still speaking to the anointed one. Not just David in that situation, but speaking to Jesus. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now things get serious here. Things get serious here because there is urgency. There is a moment of urgency in this psalm, and there should be a moment of urgency in our hearts today. Jesus will inherit the earth, every nation, every kingdom. And continuing opposition will yield only one result, being broken beyond repair. That's the idea when a piece of pottery is shattered. It is not able to be put back together. It is broken beyond repair. A rod can be it's also a word for scepter. A scepter can be a sign of authority. It can also be a weapon of punishment. A rod in a shepherd's hand can speak of the authority of the shepherd and his gentle guidance. But it can also speak of the punishment and the correction and discipline that's brought by the one who wields it. There is a message of urgency here that the one who owns the nations the one who owns the nations will come into conflict with those who oppose his rule and his reign. Verse 10, he says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. <clears throat> He's saying, pay attention. Pay attention. I'm going to give you some good advice here. Open up your ears. I'm going to tell you some important information. And so what does he say? What he's saying here is you have an opportunity. You have a moment. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear. Who is he speaking to? The kings of the earth. Oh, kings, all of you who are out there plotting and scheming and trying to think, how can we cast off the authority of King Jesus? He says, listen to me. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. You have an opportunity, he says. You can enter into a new relationship 
with the anointed one and serve him. If you'll acknowledge him as king, then you can join his people in rejoicing with trembling that we have been brought into the family of his grace and spared his wrath. That we've been rescued from his wrath and we have been brought into a place of adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so he says in verse 12, Kiss the Son, capital S, kiss the Son. To kiss in that time was to show homage. You kiss the feet of a potentate if you came before them. Kiss the ring on their hand. You were showing respect. You were showing homage to them. He says, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. For his wrath is quickly kindled. He's saying to them, why, why perish in your rebellion? Why perish in your resistance to God? If you're a, a person here today who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not yet kissed the Son by embracing Him in your heart and receiving Him as Lord and Savior, if you've not done that, He is saying to you, why? Wait. Why? Go on in this way. Open up your ears. I'm telling you, you need to respond now, urgently, in this moment, because God's wrath is real. God's wrath is real. His opposition. God's wrath is real. It is not to be downplayed, nor is it to be overplayed. We are not embarrassed by hell, nor do we manipulate by talking about it. We simply state the fact that the wrath of God is real, and you all know what I'm about to say next. What is the wrath of God? It is not God flying off the handle. It's not God freaking out. Okay, It's not your daddy's wrath, not your mama's wrath, not your boss's wrath. God's wrath is what? It is His settled opposition to everyone that is resisting His glory. Simply that. If you are not a born-again, adopted child of God, you are under the wrath of God. He is, he is settled in His opposition against you, and that opposition will continue into eternity unless you turn and kiss the Son, unless you give homage to Jesus as Lord and say, I lay down my resistance, and I say yes to you. God resists the proud but He gives grace to the humble. And so he ends the section by saying, Blessed, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Run to Jesus for refuge. Run to Jesus for salvation. Say, how do I get saved? You just look 
you just talk to Jesus. Don't worry. He hears you. You just talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm not going to run this life anymore. I surrender. I need a Savior. And I do not want to be under opposition with you. I want to be your son or I want to be your daughter. And so I confess you as my Savior and as my Lord. And I'm going to tell you something. The moment that you do that, there is a transition that takes place in which you are brought out of spiritual death and into spiritual life. I can't tell you how it happens. I can't tell you what the exact moment is, but there is a moment when you will pass from death to life. Kiss the Son. He invites you to come and embrace Him. What does this moment of urgency mean for us? What does this moment of urgency mean for us? The Scriptures tell us, work while it is still day, for night is coming when no man can work, when no woman can work. There is a window. This is not an open-ended situation. There is a window of opportunity, and not one of us knows how long that window is open. And therefore, we should always be acting with urgency of heart and mind. We should always be working with urgency and the strength of our lives, in our giving, in our serving, in our loving, in our reaching out. There should be an urgency about us. We're going to live into that emergency in the months to come. Let me just give you a little rundown of where we're going. In the month of September, we'll be initiating something in our church called Pray and Go. I'll tell you more about that later, but for now, let it simply be said this, that it is an effort to make sure that in the communities where we live, that every home is prayed for, that every street is walked and every home is prayed for, and that God might open up for us divine appointments on the streets as we walk and as we pray. In October, we're going to be asking the question, who's your one? And we'll be giving you a 30-day prayer guide as God singles out an unsaved person in your family, your friends, whatever, whoever God puts on your heart and says, this is your one for the month of October, and we're all going to be spending 30 days together interceding and praying for the one that God puts upon our hearts. And then in November, in part of October, and then in November, we'll be introducing the three-circle evangelistic um, talk and telling you just like uh, two ways to live. We'll review two ways to live. Uh, three circles is simply a different way of presenting the gospel. We want to give you another tool to add to your arsenal so that as God gives you uh, divine opportunities, you're ready and prepared and equipped to share the gospel with others. In December, joy to the world. And we'll be looking at different methods or ways we can outreach, spend uh, outreach time uh, in December, reaching out to uh, many uh, people, including the ones that we've prayed for, especially if they're local. And then in January, and I'm so excited about this, in January I get to go back to verse-by-verse -verse preaching. I get to go back. God's had me on sabbatical from that for a year. It's been a good year. It's been great. And I'm looking forward to the next few months. But in January, we will start into the book of 
Hebrews, and it's going to be brilliant, right? Brilliant. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to be fabulous, and we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time in that magnificent book. So I just want to ask you to be praying that God will give us as a church a sense of urgency, an urgency for these days, that we don't just go through the motions over the next few months and, oh, yeah, 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 I'll pray for my community. Oh, yeah, I'll go through the prayer guide. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, I learned the thing. No, 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 no. God, give us an urgency of heart. Give us an urgency of heart as those who are co-heirs with you, as those who want to make an investment in the nations, including this one. And we want to say, oh God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth, in the nations, in our nation, as it is in heaven. Give us a sense of urgency, God, from your heart. What is the heart of God? What is the heart that we need? It's an urgent heart. It's a heart that takes seriously who we belong to and what belongs to us through Jesus. And we have an urgency to live for His glory. If we say we love the glory of God, the test of the authenticity of that statement is the investment we make in pursuing His glory, in pursuing it by investment of time, of strength, of resources. We invest because we truly value His glory.